0: The preaching of God's word then is found in Luke 22 and there at verse 49 and reading through verse 53. So this company with Judas has come and we read what is recorded. Disciples are with Christ. We read, when they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. And Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, Be ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves. While I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Oh, The scriptures are quite clear in testifying that Jesus Christ is the light. He is the one who testifies and reveals and manifests the truth regarding God and regarding man, regarding sin, regarding salvation. He is the light. And John, of course, records for us that men love darkness rather than truth. And there is in the scripture this clear opposition between light and darkness and yet it is no Eastern mysticism that the scriptures hold forth as if these are equal powers. There is a corruption in these false religions which make this to be the stated uh, status quo of the universe. What we see rather is the vanity of darkness warring against light. And yet in its vanity there is real pain, there is real sin, There is real difficulty that is inflicted upon others. All of us, in one way or another, have suffered the pains because of the darkness of this sinful world. And what is most, of course, concerning and shameful is that each of us, in one way or another, have been the agents of darkness. Even as believers, Peter himself, being reproved of the Lord, get thee behind me, Satan. The work of Satan is a real work which in our day needs to be recovered. It needs to be remembered that Satan is a real being. That his kingdom is a real kingdom. And that his work is a real work that opposes Christ and seeks to destroy the cause of Christ. Whereas Christ gives true knowledge, Satan ever is peddling in the false currency of ignorance. Christ shines forth incomparably in purity. And Satan loves to put on the drapery of the appearance of purity, dressing himself as the angel of light, and in himself the messenger of darkness. Christ is the light which gives salvation. And Satan, of course is that false light which misleads multitudes unto their damnation. When we understand this, even the simple teachings of God's Word, and is it not ever striking to you that sinners love to play up the difficulties of God's Word while they ignore the very basic things of God's Word? They ignore the fact that there is a soul that they bear. They ignore the fact that there's a Savior for sinners. They ignore the fact that there's holiness and impurity, that there is Christ and Satan, that there is heaven and hell. They ignore those things. And they love to go about, as it were, the fringe of these truths and make much about it, all the while ensuring, so long as they remain in that, the damnation of their own soul. Now think of this for a moment in the passage before us. Who is it that comes out against Christ? It is Judas, as we considered last week. It is likewise these who are known as the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders. These are visible members of God's covenant. They are distinct from the world in that regard. They bear the marks in their flesh of God's covenant sign and seal. On their lips is found the word of God. And with pretended zeal, they give themselves to a form of godliness, yet denying the power thereof. And surely there are soldiers with them, but it is the case here that they are the ones highlighted. And as they are highlighted, it is a warning to us to remember that the power of darkness, as we'll consider, is not, as it were, in the margins of society. It's not in the slums of our biggest cities. It is there, of course, but it can be found within the members of God's own covenant. In other words, brethren, this is not a distant message for us, but this is a message of which we need to be aware and watchful, lest we be deceived by the darkness. And moreover, we can be overwhelmed as we walk in the light, because many times we will bear the afflictions that are inflicted upon us by other professed believers. And so we find much help in this passage because we look to our king and the captain of our salvation, and he doesn't tremble here. He doesn't cower here. He doesn't, as it were, flee away as his disciples will. But he stands bold, and he testifies against them. Look what you're doing. I was in the temple publicly And you and your cowardice did nothing. And now you come out against me as if I'm a thief and a robber. And you bring this company to arrest me. And you think yourself wise, prudent, powerful. And you're filled with this lust of vengeance. And yet against whom? But against the Son of Man who's the Savior of sinners. You oppose your own hope. Brethren, here's the reality of the power of darkness. The power of darkness and all of its malicious and wicked displays of murder, adulteries, profanity, all blasphemy, sin, and terror inflicted upon others is fundamentally zeroed in against Christ Jesus and the light of salvation. Whatever else the kingdom of darkness does, it despises Jesus Christ, the king of the kingdom of light. We see this in our text. And we want to focus upon Christ's words, particularly in verse 53. When he says, this is your hour and the power of darkness. You notice that Christ and other gospel accounts give more some less. Christ is focused upon submitting to this moment because he knows it's but a moment. Consider that well. The worst that the kingdom of darkness and its power has is but a moment. And Christ comes under it and he realizes as he's foretold multiple times that this is going to happen and yet don't lose hope because I will rise again. He knows the light will stand victorious. He doesn't deny the pain, the power of darkness and so on. But he stands valiantly and in full assurance that in the end, the light of God's kingdom shall prevail. And brethren, as our king does so, everyone who is a subject has need to do the same. Whatever agonies inflicted upon you by the kingdom of darkness are, and there are real ones, you need to learn from your king to stand without flinching, without cowardice, Without compromise, bearing up under the afflictions ordered by the Lord through this kingdom of darkness, realizing that the Lord will order good to it as he ordered such in the worst that the kingdom of darkness had to inflict. We wish to look at these things with three points of focus. Firstly, the reality of this power of darkness. Secondly, the working of this power of darkness. And thirdly, the vanity of this power of darkness. We ought to make no mistake. The working of the power of darkness is real, miserable, painful, agonizing, shameful. And yet, as we'll see, the worst it can do is but a worst, as it were, for a moment. So consider then these three things. Firstly, the reality of this power. You'll notice that Christ doesn't say this is an illusion. He doesn't say this is superstition. He doesn't think of it as something marginal and, as it were, a footnote to reality. He acknowledges the real existence of the power of darkness. Now, we noted in passing that there is, of course, an Eastern mystical Uh, approach to understanding light and darkness yin and yang and so on as some of you are familiar with and yet in those false religions there is an equality in fact in their teaching there is a necessity of both of these things and they will say that in good there's evil and in evil there's good and so these things which have a semblance and which ignorant men seek to say see the bible teaches these things is but a false representation of the truth. It's a corruption of the truth. And yet we ought to see that there is such a thing as real darkness. Now, children, you and I have had fears of the dark. And of course, much of that is unfounded. We call out to our parents and our parents come in and we say, I don't know what that is in the corner over there, they turn the light on and it's a toy. And so we have unfounded fears of the dark. And yet, we ought to realize this. Adults ought to realize this, especially when dealing with children and their own fears. There's a reason the scriptures use darkness to characterize the kingdom of Satan. Because the kingdom of Satan is full of ignorance, uncertainty. It exaggerates things. It minimizes others. Remember a story of one who was in the middle of the night going through her home, and she saw what she thought was a pile of laundry in the darkness. And she then heard the rattle of a snake and realized it was not laundry. What's the point? Satan's kingdom of darkness does those kinds of things. It covers up and it hides the real danger while it exaggerates what is not dangerous. And you see this in our temptations, right? Our temptations love to make sin little. Well, it's not that bad of a thing. It was just a little word, unkindly spoken, and, you know, they can get over it, I'll get over it, and we'll pass on. Or well, it wasn't that bad of a thing. It was just a little glance at something I should not have looked at. It was just a little indulgement, a little too much. I got tipsy, not drunk, you know, that kind of thing. And we love to play down sin, not realizing that that is the way... Of Satan's kingdom. It's dark. It doesn't give clarity. It doesn't give perspicuity. It doesn't give a full perspective of what's before them. That's because the reality of this power consists in a wicked activity against God. Think of how God's described as light. Holiness is oftentimes equivalent to the likeness of. Light And so God's kingdom is one of knowledge and truth and righteousness. You can see this with reference to God in 1 John and chapter 1. When it speaks of how we should walk, and verse 7 says we walk in the light as He is in the light. And so light is used as an emblem of understanding. So children, go back to this moment. You're scared. The dark's there. Your parents turn on the light and now you see. What was uncertain is now clarified. What seemed to be dangerous is now no danger, right? If you're driving down the street at night and both of your headlights fail, you realize I'm in danger. I need to stop because I don't know where the road's going. Light gives understanding. It gives clarity. And God's word is called a light and a lamp unto our pathway, unto our feet, so that we can see clearly where we're to go in safety. But Satan's kingdom is one of darkness. Think how the very first temptation comes. Hath God said, and instantly there's already a veil being pulled over. There's darkness already closing in upon the thoughts of Adam and Eve. And finally, he comes out directly and says, No, God knows that in the day that you eat of it, you'll be like God. And what is he doing? He's going about... In the regular currency of his kingdom. Ignorance. Falsity. Error. Deceit. All of this is his ancient way. And yet brethren unto deceived and dead sinners. This has power. This has effect. Notice Ephesians 6 and verse 12. How Paul speaks of the way of Satan. And his kingdom. He speaks there in verse 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Brethren, that is what you are opposed to. Let me be clear in this. You aren't against the Middle East. You aren't against Palestine or Israel. You aren't against Democrats or Republicans. You aren't against your neighbor. You aren't against your friend or your family or your enemy. You're fundamentally against this kingdom of darkness. And what happens is Satan knows how to manipulate us. So that we make the secondary the primary. And we make those the great cause of enemy. But here the Lord is directing us to remember that the real enemy... Is ultimately Satan's kingdom. Now we'll see in a moment that this does not mean that literal men before us are not part of that work. But it helps us to reframe our orientation to see that there is a real work of Satan in this world. Paul will speak of the God of this world who hath blinded the minds of those who in unbelief refuse the gospel. What's the point? This real power of darkness is headed by a real agent and being the scriptures refer to as Satan. That personal being, that fallen angel. And you remember when Judas was to go about his way of betrayal, we were told that Satan went into Judas. doesn't excuse Judas in the least. Judas was complicit. And participating in all of this work, but what we see is Satan is at work. Now we ought to back up and realize Satan is not personally active in every demonic work. He has loads of other angels who are part of his kingdom, just as there are angelic beings uh, in heaven, so there are angelic beings in the kingdom of darkness. The point is, of course, that Satan heads up this assault, and he really truly so opposes them. Notice Acts chapter 26 and verse 18. We have it said that the gospel goes forth to open their eyes, the Gentiles, and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So what we see is, A simple summary of this war is one of Satan opposing God. And he does so through all of his tricks, all of the trades, all of the currency, all of the efforts of darkness. Shrouding what ought to be covered in light and lightening, as it were, what is dark. He calls evil good, good evil. And he leads and plays our lusts against ourselves that we would indeed know something of his own wickedness. This is a real power. Christ says, this is your hour and the power of darkness. And so he realizes what's going on. Now, we need, before moving on to the working of this, to realize this is what's going on. There is a change that takes place at the resurrection and through the initial stages of the new covenant church wherein we see the obliterating of many forces of the wicked one. And so, of course, we see (coughs) demon possession on many pages in the Gospels and in the book of Acts. And we see increasingly less of that even mentioned in the New Testament epistles. But this does not mean that Satan's activity is any less active. There is a real force still today opposing Christ, opposing his people. And so you read in the book of Revelation, we see the great dragon despises the one born of the woman and his kingdom and opposes them. So you and I, especially in our day where the demonic seems superstitious, and indeed there is much superstition still today, Yet we ought to say, whatever superstitions there are, that doesn't mean that the true teaching of the Bible regarding the power of darkness is not true. And so we need to tune in and pay attention that there is a spiritual dark kingdom, spiritually dark kingdom, that wars against the kingdom of light. And were we to walk in this clarity, we would more clearly see the wicked ways and activity of this kingdom. Well, let's look secondly now at the working of this power of darkness. Much of what's been said will set the tone for this. When Christ says, this is your hour, the power of darkness, what is he seeing? Well, they've come out against him. And notice what they're doing just in basic terms. They're falsely accusing him. They're coming out as if he's a robber, a thief, and so on, and yet he's Uh, innocent of those things. They're coming under the cover of night so that they wouldn't be seen in public. And so they're cowardly. We ought to think of this for a moment. Every act of sin is preeminently cowardice. However bold it seems, however front line, you know, scintillatingly wondrous it seems to the one engaging in it, however powerful, manly, and so forth it seems, it is of the essence cowardice. Every sin you've committed shows yourself a coward. Every sin I've committed shows myself the same. It doesn't matter the bombastic language, the chest shoved out, the beatings and so on that others inflict upon others, the money gained, the activity that goes forth, all of it is cowardice. It's ignorance. It's sleight of hand. It's false. But what is it doing? Well, first notice that it's working fundamentally to oppose the light of Christ. And so here it's quite evident that it is literally trying to remove Christ from the scene, right? So they come out to arrest Christ. And they do so under cover of night, out of the public spectacle, so that they can perhaps have their way. And so they don't seek a fair trial, as we'll see. They simply seek their powerful use of their own ability to remove Christ from their lives. But brethren, here's the point. Whether in extreme measures, as is here before us, or in far inferior measures, this is what the power of darkness does. Do you remember, go back to the four soils. And so there's seed cast upon uh, the pathway. And it says that the the birds take it up. The enemy has taken the seed away, the word of God away. It's not in all of the sight of swords and, and, and torches and so on going out. It's not a company of great men that's coming out. It's in the simplicity of stealing seed. But what is taking place? It's the same thing here. It's as it were attacking and opposing the kingdom of Christ. And so, whether it's in the grandest display of opposition to Christ or in the subtle, almost undetectable way, this is what Satan's kingdom does. It works to oppose the light. And, brethren, there are multiple ways that this can happen myriad, numberless ways that this can happen from our own distracting of ourselves to our willing giving in to the distraction of others to our own feelings and so on being the cause, to the work of others being the cause. Satan doesn't care how it comes to pass, only that it comes to pass. And if he can do it with a pillow, he doesn't need to use a sword. If the pillow fails, he can move on to other things. The point is, his goal is not all of these malicious things that we look at. It's the more malicious of them all the opposing of Christ, and the reducing of his kingdom. That's what Satan strives for. And we need to be mindful of it. This is, of course, preeminently of Christ himself, and yet, of course, the scriptures testify that Christ has stood victorious. And so, does Satan's malice end? No. We find, rather, that he continues his wicked work, opposing the truth of the gospel. And so Paul writes, as was referred earlier, Second Corinthians chapter 4, speaking of the God of this world, a title of Satan, who has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. We are right to pray against the wickedness of wicked men. But brethren, we ought to remember as well that they stand enslaved to this wicked one they stand in large way ignorant not entirely but ignorant of the full reality of what's going on and so whereas this brings us to oppose them and even pray against them and for their downfall surely it ought to make us wield the light of the gospel that if ever they should be restored They would be restored by Christ. And this is what Paul goes on to say. We preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus sake. For God who hath commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So notice what Satan opposes. Fundamentally he opposes the gospel. Now, brethren, this should give us clarity. There are things we need to oppose in this world. We need to oppose the murderous work of abortion mills. We need to oppose it. We need to speak on behalf of the innocent. We need to come out, and this needs to be well measured, to realize that the woman who puts her child to death is a murderer. And the pro-life movement, which seeks to protect women who murder their children, is not a Christian movement. The murderer's hands are guilty. This doesn't mean we don't understand their difficulties and burdens, but it does mean we need to see these things through the lens of Scripture. The doctors who make millions through these things are murderers, whatever their MD record is and so on. And we need to do better to oppose that. We need to do much to oppose the besetting sins of our culture, which include the rank, idolatry, and profanation of God's name. But brethren, we need to see something on all of these things. That fundamentally, Satan isn't all about these. He's about blinding the eyes of men to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what far too often happens among Christians who protest is they actually lose sight of this. We lose sight that the actual war is not simply for the protection of babies in the womb, though that's part of it. The actual war is not about establishing morality, though that's part of it. The actual war is for the gospel of Christ in all of its resplendent glory to go forth unto the salvation and deliverance of sinners so that we speak against the sins that defile this nation. And yet our voices ought to be lifted up all the higher for the cause of Jesus Christ explicitly. And once again, we find ourselves in all of the catchings and trappings of the political fervor of our nation. But brethren, do not lose your focus. Your focus must be fundamentally on this. There is a kingdom of darkness that has infiltrated every part of this land. And the only solution, the single only solution there is, is Jesus Christ preached, period. That's the only solution. There's no man, no woman, no group of men, no party that can solve this nation's problems. Because the fundamental root of all of the problems facing our nation is we have cast off Christ. And even in the pretended benefits of our constitution, they refuse Christ as the king. Brethren, our focus is for Christ the king, not we the people. Our focus is the gospel of light which saves. And secondary to that is to be the concern about all these other things insofar as they represent the teachings of God's Word. Get this clearly in your mind. The enlightenment experiment of our nation's founding is not an enlightenment of the kingdom of light. This is why Christian philosophers will call it an endarkment, because with all of its insight into the affairs of politics, It failed in the most fundamental point in that it refused to acknowledge Christ. Christ is the need of all the nations. Christ is the need of all of the problems. And Satan will be satisfied for conservative Republicans and independents to fill the offices so long as Christ is not preached. And brethren, is it not the case that again and again in conservative triumphs, the conservatives think, now we've got it. And what happens? The eyes droop and they remove themselves from the light. Now, brethren, we can set all that aside and we can see this because what is Satan doing? Well, we can back up and look at the scriptures and we can say, look how he employs so many means. Here we have the most preeminent display of force, right? He uses force against Christ. But other times, he's employed these questions. And so he gets the Pharisees together with the scribes and the Herodians, and they're asking questions under the semblance of a very respectful and civil-interested debate. Well, that's a tactic. Other times, it's fear-mongering. Other times, it's sympathy. Other times, all sorts of things. What's the point? Well, whereas this power opposes the light, we ought to see it this way. It uses any means possible. And how different that is from the kingdom of light. The kingdom of light does not use any means possible. You ought to get this clear. We are not to use any means possible for the advance of Christ's kingdom. We are to use exclusively the means which Christ has ordained. And so, of course, even pagan men realize that the end doesn't justify the means. And yet, increasingly in our day, it seems that the end does justify the means. You know, if I lie and it works out, what does it matter? It's worked out. If I murder this person, what matters if it, in the end it protects life? But that's not the kingdom of light. That's the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness will justify sinful means. It will justify and misuse lawful means. Because it doesn't care about the means. It only cares that the light of Christ is opposed. And so you look at the rising up of paganism. Paganism. And brethren, think of this for a moment. There are Christians who will start speaking of, it's good to be barefoot because it connects you more to the ground. And as you're connected with the ground, it sort of cues you into certain things. And, you know, you need to be eating this kind of food and not that kind of food because it's actually the way the Lord would have you to be. And if you listen carefully, there's a Christianite paganism that's coming into our circles. What's the point? Satan doesn't care about nutrition. Nutrition. Satan doesn't care about these things, but he does care little by little, driving the wedge in that separates the Christian from the kingdom of light. And here we see him in all of his power and all of his strength coming out with swords and staves, arresting Christ. But we need to realize he's content to use whatever means possible. Ridicule, approval, semblance of friendship, open deceit, persecution, all will be wielded by, Christ, by Satan against the light of Christ. Do you know this? He will use your zeal, imbalanced, for his cause. He will use your mouth, unmoderated, for his cause. He will use your social media feeds that aren't disciplined by the rules of charity and love, for his cause. And what happens is we then get sucked in and we start beating our chest and saying, you just hate me and you hate what's right and so on. Not realizing that we're the ones who actually were deceived into participating in the kingdom of darkness. Satan is a master at employing every means possible. You're zealous for this? Well, if I sort of exaggerate that a bit, now you're off balance. And now you'll start saying things you ought not to say. And now the unbeliever has reason to oppose Christ all the more. You see, brethren, you must be watchful and circumspect. Because you can be the means that others refuse Christ. Does that make them no longer culpable or responsible by no means. But brethren, this is why the scriptures are so full in reminding us day after day, chapter after chapter, that we are to be watchful, circumspect, harmless as doves, wise as serpents, employing only those things which are according to the kingdom of righteousness. We do not take up the instruments of the enemy. You can see a little whisper of this with Peter. It's not mentioned here that it is Peter, but John records it for us that they say, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Now, as one commentator says, they were right to ask, but they failed to listen because Christ never said yes. And Christ actually elsewhere reproves Peter says those that live by the sword will die by the sword. And notice how Christ responds, how different it is than the working of the power of darkness. He says, allow this to be the case. Suffer this to be so. And it's actually more likely that he's saying this to the enemies, not to his disciples. Allow this to be so. And what does he do? He touched this servant's ear and he heals him. He is always going about in the efforts of the kingdom of light, even against his enemies. This is so different than the working of Satan's power. Satan's power uses all means to accomplish its wicked and wretched end of darkness in opposing Christ Jesus. Christ is always only dealing in what is right and good, even when it is one who has come to arrest him. Brethren, before we pass on and close with our third point, notice the working of this power is even allowed in appointed seasons by God. So Christ says, this is your hour, the power of darkness. Christ has mentioned that before, and this expression hour is a way that he's spoken of the appointed time of the Lord. The Lord has appointed this for you. I get it. This is why you have success right now. But think of that for a moment. The working of this power is only in accordance to the sovereign disposition of God. He permits it. And so you read Job, and what do you see? You see Satan going to and fro in the land. And he comes presenting himself before the Lord. And he says, I've been going here and there. And he points out Job. And without God's allowance, Satan could do nothing to Job. He couldn't affect his wealth. He couldn't affect his children. He couldn't affect his body. He could do nothing. The working, and we see the working, don't we, in Job? The working of what Satan did to Job was entirely in the boundaries of God's perfect control, which if you back up as a Christian, think of this. The worst that Satan does is yet under the sovereign rule of God which gives us the reason to know, as Romans tells us, that all things work together for the good of those that love him, who are the called according to his purpose. Well, thirdly and finally, the vanity of this power, and it really stems from what we've just noted. But notice as well in general, who is it that these have come out against? Who is it that the power of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, Satan opposes? He fights against The only hope. Now, Satan has no hope. But think for a moment. Here's Judas trying to make 30 pieces of silver. Here are these chief priests and elders and others who are there trying to get their gain. But who is it they're opposing? They're opposing their only hope. Their only hope is this one that they say, we wish he were not with us. Now, brethren, praise the Lord that you're not bearing a torch or a sword, and standing against Christ. But is it possible that here in this room, there is one who is opposing Christ? Opposing Christ through their words, their thoughts, their hearts, their actions. And think for a moment what you're doing. The Lord Jesus Christ, who has come to give life and light and salvation, is bending toward you, saying, Come to me, take me, have me, I'm for you. And you say, You know, not now. Now, of course, in the degrees of heinousness, that's less heinous than what's going on in this passage. But is it not the same essential thing? We don't want Christ whether I have a sword, or a torch, or a staff, or if I just have crossed arms, or whether I just have my phone that I get on when I should be reading the Bible, or I turn on the television, or I get on the phone with my friends, or I have to do all these things and busy my life over and over and over again. All of those things that keep us from Christ, think of the utter vanity, what worthlessness those things are compared to having the light of this world. Jesus Christ... What are our friends? What is our family? What is our health? What is our wealth? What is our job? What is our anything compared to Christ? And all of a sudden you realize the tactics that Satan uses, those tactics, when seen in the light of truth, are utterly stupid. They are worthless. They are weightless. They have no value compared to the one that he would have us oppose. Christ, the light and life of men, is the one that through our sins we would oppose. This is true of those open enemies. They fight against the only hope. Notice as well, the vanity is not only in seen in what they fight against, but that they are only provided a small season. Parents, there are trying times you face as parents. But if I were to tell you, you're going to have an agonizing far more than you ever had. Whatever agony you've had with your children before is not going to be the 10th of what you're going to face in the future. But here's the consolation. It's only for an hour. That limit of an hour would all of a sudden give you some degree of hope. Okay, however bad it is. However difficult it is, it has a boundary, a time span. Once we get through the hour, it's done, over. Brethren, this is the reality of the false teaching of annihilationism, which false teachers say, well, hell is just a really long time. Well, if it's just a really long time, the one in misery is hope. However long it is, at least at the end, it's over. The determined end of something makes the thing itself bearable brethren think of the vanity that the kingdom of darkness has in that it's given an hour this is your hour now it doesn't mean that this is the only hour they have that kingdom has other hours as well but here's the point its grand display of all of its force and ability is compared to an hour The worst that the kingdom of Satan can do, and we ought not to think little of that, it's a lot, but it's an hour. Compare that for a moment to the kingdom of light and life. And that kingdom is eternal, everlasting, the victory ever increasing. And so for a moment, think of this. If you struggle or bound up in your sins, get this in your brain, get this in your heart. Your success, your pleasure, your delight, your prominence in sin is limited by the span of an hour. Your greatest delight, your pattings on the back, your boastings before men will end in an hour. This is the vanity of wicked men satisfying their lusts and flesh In sin, participating in the kingdom of sin and darkness. They're joining in this sinful pleasure for the very small span of an hour. And then it's done. And what comes after that? Well, it's not that the kingdom of darkness ends, but it ends in its power. And its kingdom is turned into the experience of the slavery that it truly is. The rattling of the chains are now heard. What was thought to be the drumbeat of victory is actually the chains banging, clanging against its own prison. That which was thought to be the laughter and mirth of victorious men will turn into the squelching squeals of men in agony. This is the vanity of this power. Judas knows it, does he not? What a success he must have thought he pulled off. I've now come and you know this is going to be done and I'll have my way. And so as soon as this is done with the 30 pieces of silver still in his purse, what does he do? He's broken, consumed. He throws it back and he goes and hangs himself. Ever retaining the title, the son of perdition. This is the vanity of this power. Fundamentally it consists in this. It is always ended with the advance of the kingdom of light. The worst that Satan's kingdom did, think of this for a moment, in all of its brutality against the king and all of its brutality against the king's people has always in every instance brought forth an advance in his kingdom. The epitome of this is the cross of Jesus Christ. And oh, what wicked delight and pleasure Satan and the demons must have had as they're laughing. You could see it in their very instruments as they're chiding and uh, backbiting and ridiculing Christ. And yet, they're a kingdom of darkness. They don't see the light, they don't see what's going on. As they're doing this against Christ, what's Christ doing? He's redeeming his people infallibly, certainly securing the advance of his kingdom throughout the nations where Satan had strongholds in the heathen lands which were bound over to idolatry. Christ was purchasing souls that the gospel of light would go forth in generations and some in just a handful of days, that it would go forth and those who only knew damnation would hear the gospel of light the crucified and risen Savior, and they would be saved. Here's the wonder. God uses this for the advance of his kingdom, overthrows the kingdom of darkness, and in the end, it will be seen so to be. Here, indeed, is a word for us in our dark day. And yet, strangely, here by Christ is a word of encouragement for us In our dark day. Yep, this is your hour, the power of darkness. But he's not cowering, he's not wringing his hands and writhing in all of these concerns. He knows, because he said, They will put me to death after I suffer, and yet on the third day I will arise. Brethren, here's your hope. The worst that the darkness of this kingdom does will by Christ be overruled for the advance of his cause. Here is the reason for your hope then, to trust in this king in spite of the ferocity of the kingdom of darkness, to know that its kingdom shall end and Christ's kingdom shall prevail. Would you stand with me for prayer?